Hey everybody, what's up? It's Kyle Polsman and you're listening to the Against All Average Podcast, episode 18. The show where business owners and entrepreneurs come to learn the skills and mindset to lead exceptional lives. Today I am joined by the one and only Jake. I'm 22 and rock the dad bod with 100% confidence, Spurly. What's up, Jake? What's up, Kyle? How you doing, buddy? Oh man, I am... I am ready to roll. It's 84 degrees out right now. Beautiful in Hillsboro, Oregon. How about you, buddy? Oh, it's beautiful out here. Are you, are you rocking your dad bod too? I, I know you're a dad, a true dad. Uh, hey, I've been working on this for about seven years. My oldest is seven years old and I've been holding it down. Hey, you know, when we we're kind of getting this thing all set up, I noticed you kind of hobbling in. Do you need a cane, grandpa? Like what'd you do, dude? Uh, I jacked up my back again. I was I was riding motorcycles with my buddies and uh, I was like, man, it is so hot out. I just want to go, I want to go take a dip in the lake. And so we're by Detroit Lake, Oregon. And there's this little lake up in the sticks called Tumble Lake. And it's about 1200 feet down in two miles. And I somehow thought that this was a good idea. And I, I, I haven't been the most active during this uh, little COVID experience. <laughs> Going down, I was good. I was swimming with the fishes. Everything was beautiful. And then I had to hike two miles up. And by the end, my back started hurting a little bit. And uh, just yesterday, I, I bent down and uh, I, I was down for the count. So I've, uh, I've been visiting my acupuncturist, getting back, dialed in, uh, being trying to earn that dad of the year award, you know? Yeah, yeah. Jeez, that's crazy. Well, I hope you're on the mend. I hope the acupuncturist is just going to get you all fixed up today. Yeah, he's uh, he's the best in the business. So uh, I'll I'll be running in no time. Well, I'm joking. I'll probably be speed walking in no time. But anyway, <laughs> hey, we love the sponsors of the Against All Average podcast. When you need all things digital, looking their best, call our friends at Fame Pro Services. Our friends will give you the above all average treatment with an awesome new website, custom graphics, social media management, and a full line of printing services. Fame, the trusted partner of the Against All Average podcast. Jake, you excited for this one or what? I mean, I was smiling ear to ear like the whole time you were talking. I'm just stoked. This Man, guy I, is, I, what? I was, I was saying, I, I've, I've had to take like three drinks of water already. I'm jacked up. I'm ready to go, Jake. You know, we talk about dropping some gold. This guy is an absolute gold mine. We are gonna unleash some gold. All right, here we roll. Our guest today had a bigger vision for himself when, we, when he left the closed walls of being a classroom teacher to building his own brand of education and how to deliver it. He's been featured in Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., Fast Company, and has been on too many podcast shows and stages to count. Omar Zenholm is co-founder and CEO of Webinar Ninja a user-friendly webinar platform designed for independent entrepreneurs and small businesses like everybody listening today. Founded in 2014, over a million people have attended a webinar on Webinar Ninja, one of the fastest growing self-funded software companies in the world. If that wasn't enough, Omar's podcast, The $100 MBA Show, consistently ranks among the best business podcasts in over 30 countries, with over 100 million downloads and over 1,500 episodes. Holy moly. Please welcome to the show the host of the $100 MBA podcast and the CEO of Webinar Ninja, the man, the myth, the legend, Omar Zenholm. What's up, Omar? 
What's up, Kyle? What's up, Jake? Great to have you. Uh, great to be here, not have you. <laughs> I'm usually doing the hosting, so. <laughs> and how many episodes have you cranked out so far, Omar? Yeah. Um, yesterday, we released uh, episode 1,570. So, yeah, it's been six years, daily podcast. Wow. Uh, an interesting project. Talk a little bit about, I know from listening to a few things and listening to a few of your shows, you used to be a classroom teacher, kind of working in middle management, teaching the teachers, helping them with some classroom management. And then you kind of one day said, hey, I, th I think I want to do things my way or I want to th do things differently. So take the mm. listeners on a short path of kind of how you got into teaching originally and how everything's evolved since you left. And there's been a lot of growth in the last six years as well uh, with, your, with the variety of things that you do. Yeah, I got into teaching, uh, funny enough, because I was trying to find stability and I was trying to find a job that I can do that everybody, you know, everybody needs teachers. Uh, the economy always needs, uh, you know, education. Uh, my father was in sales uh, when I grew up. Um, if anybody has a parent that is in sales, they know how volatile sales is. So like one summer vacation, you're going to Disney World. The next time it's, uh, you know, your backyard. So... I, I really wanted uh, to go away from that. Like, I really was like, okay, uh, that's not kind of my gig. I want something that's a little bit more stable. So I went into teaching and I, 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 um, I started teaching in the classroom in 2002. Um, uh, funny enough, probably I would say after my first semester in school, uh, I have an uncle who's the only entrepreneur in my family growing up. Uh, really. And, um, and uh, he visited me and he gave me a book to read. And I never read any business books before, never even considered entrepreneurship really. Um, and he gave me the book, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Now, it's not the best business book in the world, but it was the one that kind of turned on the lights for me. Um, I, I also simultaneously read another book, not famous, not popular. Most people never heard of it before. It's called Anyone Can Do It. Uh, it's by Sarah and Bobby Hashmi. It's about uh, a uh, brother and sister uh, company that uh, started a company called Coffee Republic, which was like the Starbucks of the UK before Starbucks came in and took over. Uh, and that book really made me feel that, okay, this is, this is pretty cool, this business thing. These people that create things out of thin air. It's incredible. Um, and so I kind of built businesses on the side, uh, the internet was up and coming back then. It was 2002, you know, WordPress and PayPal was coming up out and, and, and making it possible for you to sell things online. eBay, I had an eBay store for a bit. So I did a lot of dabbling. I did a lot of, uh, successful and not so successful businesses on the side when I was teaching for about 10 years uh, at that point. Um, and uh, it just got to a point where in 2000 and, uh, I think it was the end of 2012, beginning of 2013, where I was at the university I was teaching at. I was actually acting chair. I wanted the position full time as the chair of the department. Um, the person that I was replacing, you know, left the left the institution, and I was doing his job basically for a year and a half. But I never got the promotion uh, officially. So I kind of got restless. I asked my supervisor, said, "Hey, you know, what's going on here? Um, you know, I'd love to." officially get this job and officially get paid for it, you know? Um, you know, and I did a fantastic job. I worked and put my, my blood, sweat, and tears into this, into this position. And uh, she just confided in me and kind of just cut the bullshit and just said to me, you know, listen, uh, I know on good word that the director, the director of the university wants to make an outside hire for this position. And in that moment, I really felt um, a sense of 
uh, I'm not in control, like a sense of I'm not, uh, I can't really, I can work as hard as I want, but at the end of the day, somebody else is going to make the decisions for me. Um, and at that point I realized, okay, I always say that at that point, my, my, my fear really, uh, took a backseat and my, my frustration outgrew my fear. And I just kind of decided to make the full time leap into entrepreneurship, left education and became a full-time entrepreneur. Wow. That's, uh, that's crazy. Uh, I'm still a business teacher at a high school level. I teach right across the street from my house. I'm going into my 11th year. Some days feel like that, Omar. So, some days yeah. feel like you are just, you're not in control. You, um, you're always trying to run all your ideas by different people. And it's, it's tough when, when you're selling and you're selling and, and you're trying and, and you feel like you're doing a great job. You're doing what's right for kids. You're trying to improve the department. You're trying to get teachers on board. And then you have the outside forces that seem sometimes impenetrable Mm-hmm. To, to try to figure that out. So uh, I dabble, I, I'm currently dabbling in, in your earlier stages where I run a couple of different businesses on the side. I teach full time and everything looks a little bit different due to the COVID epidemic. And totally. I don't know what next year looks like for me. So I'm constantly trying to build my skills uh, as the podcast has started and, and other business, uh, businesses that I run. I think it's important that for our listeners to hear that even if you have a job, even though you're doing really well in your job, you really need to start thinking of multiple skills to generate those multiple streams of income. Yeah. And I, I, first of all, hats off to you. And I, I compliment you for, for being on this journey. Um, the other thing is that a lot of people, they don't get it when they say, you know, oh, you lost your job. That, that's a blessing in disguise. Now you can kind of explore new, new opportunities for yourself, do things you want. People are like, well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, people don't realize it's actually harder to leave something you're good at. Like it's hard. It was hard for me to leave education. I was really good at it. I was getting promotion after promotion. I was doing well. And I was managing teachers twice my age at the age of 25. And, you know, I was, I was getting paid well and all that kind of stuff. So it's hard to leave a good thing, something you know you're good at and say, you know what, I'm going to throw that all aside and I'm going to start something completely new. That's a whole lot easier. That's why it's actually a blessing <laughs> right. when you, when that opportunity is not there anymore. Now you got to be more resourceful and, and take on a new opportunity. Right. You, and you talk about, you know, taking those steps, like our listeners were always trying to give them actionable, tangible next steps and items to kind of walk away with. You, we kind of dabbled and talked about your teaching career. Let's kind of transition into the first, you know, maybe a couple of days, weeks, months of the $100 MBA journey. How did that, how did you come up with it? What did that look like? You know, what are the nitty gritty details of that? Yeah. Um, so the first thing I want to uh, share is when, when I made that transition to full-time entrepreneurship, I was very insecure about being uh, an entrepreneur. I had businesses online. I had some success. I made some money. But I, I looked at the Seth Godins out there. I look at, uh, you know, the Tim Ferrisses. I read, you know, four-hour work week when, when it came out, uh, when it first came out. And I was just like, I'm not like these guys. These guys actually know business. They know marketing. You know, I, I'm just playing around on the internet and 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 if I look back at it, you know, I probably knew more than I thought. Um, so I actually went to a Wharton business school to try to get my MBA thinking that's what you do to be a great entrepreneur is to go to business school. Um, but after a semester in, um, I had a little chat with my marketing professor at the time and he was just like, what are you doing here? Like you're, you're in your thirties, you know, you've built businesses on the side before you're not, 
the typical student at a business school, uh, I said, well, I'm here just to be a great entrepreneur. That's why I want to get my MBA. And he was just like, that's not why you get your MBA. You get your MBA so you can get a great job at Morgan Stanley or, you know, uh, or (laughs) Goldman Sachs or something. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, and at the mo at that moment, I realized, why am I here? I'm here because I feel like maybe I need to give myself permission or give myself some sort of time or course or information to make me feel like I know business and I can do things like marketing and finance and sales. And I thought, how many people are in my position? How many people are in their, you know, second career? They want to start a business, but they want something to consume to say, okay, I have a foundation. I can now go ahead and do it without dropping a hundred grand a year uh, or a hundred grand for their MBA. So uh, that's kind of where I came up with the hundred dollar MBA. I thought um, it'd be kind of like uh, uh, a bit of a sarcasm with, with a hundred dollars. Um, and I, I didn't want to write a book. I wanted to kind of create a practical course. And, you know, we came up with a hundred dollar MBA. I say we, cause my co-founder, Nicole Baldino, who's also my wife, uh, we, she's a New York film Academy graduate. She shot all the videos and we, we put it all together and, uh, I remember, I still remember the days of pre-launching that and, and, and we, I think we, we worked for like 60 plus days straight with no days off, no weekends, no nothing just to make this happen. Um, and, and, and that's really where the idea came from is it's like, I, I, people need a, a base of information of like how to validate a business idea, how to grow an audience, how to be able to uh, launch a simple website, how to be able to uh, market and sell their products, how to get financing, whether that's debt financing or getting some funding or whether that's savings or whether that's, you know, going self-funded, you know, just so they can say, all right, I know now what it takes to build a business. I know the steps. Um, let me go ahead and start implementing these steps. And I just felt like I can offer that to people rather than giving them a book, I can offer them a course and that kind of be our calling card or our entry level kind of product, which is the hundred dollar MBA uh, community. Wow. That's, that's crazy. And, and you really did it on the notion because you realize after you're talking to your marketing teacher, like you don't need to go to MBA school to really understand the fundamentals, right? Yeah. One of the things I get asked a lot is like, do you need an MBA to be successful in business? You know, I can, I can name a bunch of people that don't have college degrees period that, uh, that are great. And, but you know, I always say that that's kind of a little unfair because you know, they have something else going on other than, <laughs> than not going to business school or yeah, going to it's a college. Not like, it's not like they haven't done anything, right? It's not like they have exactly. zero knowledge. It, they've been picking through books. They've taken courser, courses. They've had mentors, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. But what I do is I do break it down. I say, what, what does a business school give you? Um, what does it offer? It offers three things. It offers one, uh, it gives you information, education. It's no, it's not like they don't teach you anything. Um, and in a lot of regards, it's a little bit outdated too, because you work in education, uh, Kyle, and you know that there's so much red tape to change a curriculum, to change uh, things around is, is a lot of work because, you know, the assessment body needs to be aligned with the curriculum and the, the change that is going to be a little bit, you know, it may take years to update a curriculum. Um, but nonetheless, they do give you information, but they don't have a monopoly on the information. You can get this information outside of, of, of business school. You, right. can, you can get it at the library. You can get it from books. You can get it from courses. You can get it from going to conferences. You can get it from mentors, like you mentioned. Okay. So that's one thing that they offer. So we can get it in another way. The second thing is that they do offer a network. This is probably the number one thing people go to business school for is that, uh, they are networking with potentially successful people, people that are going to do great things in the future that can help them along their way. And that's definitely something that business schools offer, but uh, do they have a monopoly on that? 
Well, what if you dedicated, let's say $10,000 in the next year uh, on, instead of just one, three credits at a business school on networking, on just saying, I'm going to go to the top five conferences in my field. I'm going to uh, run some dinners. I'm going to be able to, uh, you know, maybe get some introductions and invites and build some relationships and build my own network uh, through that. I mean, and that's, that's a very healthy budget to do that. I mean, you could probably do it with a whole lot less. I did it with a whole lot less because I have no choice, but, um, that, that, that's something you can do outside of business school. Uh, and the third thing is basically business school gives you a permission slip to say, this person knows business, give them a job. Um, so that is one thing that business schools have that you can't get outside of business school. But if you're going to business school to start a business to be an entrepreneur, you don't need that. You don't really need that permission slip because you, you're not getting a job. You're, you're creating your own job. You're creating your own business. Um, so that's kind of how I see it. If you can uh, get the, the, the benefits of business school outside of it and you're dedicated to do that, and especially if you're trying to be an entrepreneur, if you're trying to get a job or trying to get a you know, middle management job somewhere, that's a different story. Uh, some people, they even, they say, well, I do want to be an entrepreneur, but I want to back up. Um, I, I, in my opinion, I, I think that you should think twice about being, being an entrepreneur because things get really hard in, in business. And it's, if, if you always have that kind of in the back of your mind, you're just never going to make it. You're just not going to, you, you know, I think it's Arnold Schwarzenegger that says, you know, he never has a plan B because it, it human nature is, Hey, uh, I can always have a safety net and it just gives you permission to give up. So, right. um, th that's just kind of my opinion when it comes to business school. And do you, and do you think Omar, when you were teaching in the classroom and you had something to fall back on, it was like, yeah, I, I could really put in some great hours today. I could really uh, get through that book that I needed to, to achieve the next level. But, you know, I've got to work. Uh, I got to wake up at 6am, get prepped, get ready, get my curriculum dialed in, uh, and, and figure out what I'm going to do for these five kids that keep on screwing up my class every time I try to teach them a little bit <laughs> about life or success. So for you, was your breakthrough stopping and starting your venture? Uh, yes and no. I, I do... I did have some success in some businesses while I was teaching. Um, I was, uh, I, I really didn't have much of a social life uh, because every free moment I had uh, in the evenings, in the afternoons, in the summer holidays, I was, I was trying to build a business. I was trying to figure things out. I, all my extra cash that I made, I never bought anything for myself. I just would put it into businesses and, and ventures and, and in a lot of ways, it was kind of nice because I had that safety net and I can, uh, can afford to make some mistakes that right. I needed to make so I can learn about business, I can learn about myself and what kind of entrepreneur I want to be. Um, but it was a different world, obviously, when you jump into full-time entrepreneur, you have no safety net, you need to deliver, you need to sell it, you need to make money. There's a whole different kind of pressure. Um, you need to pay rent, you need to pay your bills, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's why I highly recommend when somebody goes into that full-time entrepreneur stage is to ramp up to it. Meaning, you know, make sure you have a runway of savings. Um, even if that means, you know, drastically changing your lifestyle. Um, and it's temporary. It's okay. It's all right. If you, even if you have a family, you're not single, you have a family of kids, sit down with your family say, Hey, listen, daddy's not happy. Uh, he's not happy with his job. He wants to try something new. Uh, we're going to uh, be doing some changes. We might have to downgrade where we live. We might have to sell our car and sell the Lexus and get a Toyota. Um, these are all just things we're not really going to have. 
much regrets about. It's not our life's not going to drastically change because we're driving a Camry versus a LX or something, whatever. You know, like and or, you can get your, a better car later on. Yeah, riding your riding your skateboard, riding your bike. Like, what's is that the worst that could happen to something that yeah. could absolutely change your life or change your mindset into a more enjoyable life? I mean, at the end of the day, you can make all the money in the world, but is success defined? in monetary terms or is it defined in the stress that you carry in your shoulders? Is it defined in time that you have for your family, your loved ones, your, your wife, your significant other? So that's, a, that's such a, a, a great point to continue to, to hammer home. Yeah. And, and if you can lower your expenses as much as possible, that can save you some money. And you could say, at least I got like six months of salary uh, to, to get my ass in gear and uh, get my business rocking and rolling and make some profits. And what are those, you know, talk kind of specifically, what do you wish you would have known specifically, like things you screwed up when you just started the $100 MBA? And I know you probably, like everybody asks, what would you have done differently? But I think tangibly, you couldn't have screwed up too much because like you were kind of like, that was, that was kind of what you were banking on, you know, right? You left the teaching career. Yeah, totally. Um, there is a lot of things that people don't know about my, my career in entrepreneurship, uh, because they're not glamorous. I had a lot of failures even before the 100 MBA. We had a podcast before the 100 MBA show uh, that was a total failure, tanked. We really tried hard. It was a 46 episodes run and, and it just didn't do well. Um, but I learned a lot of lessons through those failures. I, I always, the, the thing I would say or that I learned the most is that uh, failure is a rite of passage. You have to fail. You, you just can't knock it out of the park uh, from day one, you have to figure out what's not going to work before you know what's going to work. Um, and that's just something that you have to just accept. You have to just say, you know what, it's kind of like um, learning how to snowboard or ski. You just have to accept that you're going to fall for the first two, three days and you're going to be sore and your ass is going to be really sore the next day and all that kind of stuff. Just accept it. Once you've accepted it, you're going to have fun. You're going to be like, okay, I'm supposed to fall. That's what, that's what business is about. That's what snowboarding is about it's falling for the first few days so yeah, I'm, I'm sure you you saw it as a as when you were trying to help out teachers as well those first year teachers or second year teachers you you've got to just keep on walking through that door each and every day because your first few weeks or few, few months i've seen certain teachers they just bomb the lesson mm. every single time and, and are trying to find their foothold so it's so important in, in not just entrepreneurship but in whatever you do, you're not going to be good at it when you start, right? Totally, totally. One of the things I say is, uh, I give this analogy where um, you take any profession, teaching is a great one, um, but let's try something different like a doctor, okay? In order for a doctor to be considered, you know, a respected doctor that people want them to uh, help them out and, 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 to, and to treat them, it takes, you know, bachelors of four years. It takes medical school. It takes, you know, rotations. It takes, it literally takes them like 10 to 12 years before they become what is considered a doctor that practices and is a professional. People want to start a business and be Gary Vaynerchuk in like three months, you know, like it takes, it takes time. It takes yeah. time to learn anything, to, to, to be skillful, at anything, whether you're LeBron James or you're, you know, Mozart, you have to, it takes time to be a master. And, and I think that's one of the things I didn't see that I didn't have the foresight to realize it takes time to build a great business. And the, and, and the problem is, is that if you don't have that mindset or you don't learn that early on, 
you start making bad decisions for the short term. You start making bad decisions for your brand for the short, for the long term. Like you do things that will hurt you and bite you back in the, in, in the long term. And uh, it really, it, it, it's unfortunate that a lot of people want quick success. They want to be, you know, they want all the luxuries in life and don't realize that, you know, this is a long-term situation. You want to make sure that you're, you're, you're around 10, 20, 30 years from now. Uh, Jason Fried, founder of Basecamp, has a great uh, little saying. He says, like, you know, anybody can start a, anybody can start a startup, but do you have a stay up? Like, can you stay right. in business, yeah. you know, which is really what you want. You want that sustainability. And you talked, we were talking a lot about the, the $100 MBA and the podcast that's done extremely well. Talk a little bit about Webinar Ninja and what is, what is developing the webinar software done for you and then also done for, I, I assume that you use it for the $100 MBA and different steps of, uh, of guiding your clients through the process. But talk a little bit about Webinar Ninja, what it is, how you started it, and then what's this its specific use in your businesses? Uh, one of the things I love the most about Webinar Ninja as a company is that it forced me and forces me every day to become a better entrepreneur, to be a better person, to be a better thinker. Um, it's a very challenging world to be in software, to be in that kind of business space, uh, because if you have to grow. If you're not growing, you're dying. And um, if you're in that kind of environment, you have to be able to be willing to say to yourself, I'm not what I need to be to get to where I want to go. I need to change. I need to do different things. I need to learn different things. Um, and that's hard, especially if you had some success with something else. If you're like, you've had a business, you had some sort of success somewhere, like in my case with the podcast to say, you know what, maybe you did well here, but this is a different game here. This is like the big leagues. This is a different situation here. And in order for you to do well here, you have to constantly improve. You have to constantly grow. You have to constantly say, I'm not good enough. I have to get better, um, which is a very tough challenge for somebody who's, you know, been around the earth for 40 years and you're still realizing, man, I still don't have it together. I still, gotta, I gotta, I still have a lot to learn, you know? So um, Webinar Ninja started because I was running webinars to, uh, to build my audience, to sell the $100 MBA to my potential customers and students. And I just hated all the webinar software options out there. I just was really frustrated. It took me two hours every single week to put it all together. My landing page software, my email notification, excuse me, my email notifications and the webinar itself and the streaming and the recording and the replays and the add to calendar features and the follow-up. And it was just, there's so many moving parts. And it was just like, no software was doing them all. There was just kind of like, I had like seven or eight pieces of software. I had a Frankenstein together to make sure it worked. And sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't every single week. And I just thought there's got to be a better way. This, 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 is, this is, you know, I wanted to scratch my own itch. So I, I know a little bit of PHP HTML. My, my expertise in tech came from WordPress and I started a very, I built a very small WordPress plugin just to build all these aspects within my website easily, um, within my uh, WordPress kind of install. Uh, and I started running webinars with it. And people were like, hey, what are you using for this webinar? This looks great. And I just said, oh, it's something I slapped together. And they're like, well, can we buy it? And at that moment, I was just like, hmm, I never thought about selling what I just created. But I was around enough to know that, you know, people say one thing and then uh, when they actually ask for the, for the, for the money, they, it's, right. it's a different story. So money talks. So we pre-sold it. We actually pre-sold Webinar Ninja beta. We told them, I just basically had a very simple, ugly landing page with 
uh, Photoshop mockups of what it would look like for commercial use for like if they got it. And we said, you're going to pre-order, you're going to buy now. And within four to five months, you're going to get delivery of this product. Um, and uh, we opened it up for beta just to see uh, if anybody was interested. I literally just emailed my very small list at the time. I think it was like 1500 people or something like that. Um, I, a lot of what I did is I just emailed personally, Gmail email, everybody I met at any conference I went to said, Hey, I'm launching something new. If this is something you're interested in, if not, would you mind sharing this with your audience? Maybe they would be interested in, 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 in signing up. Um, we sold out, uh, our 250 spots in 48 hours. So in that moment we realized, okay, there's a big enough pain here that people are willing to put down money on the promise of a better solution for webinars. So then we're like, okay, there's definitely something going on here. We need, we need to kind of, we hit a nerve. Um, and from there we kind of, uh, launched, reiterated, we heard from our beta users. Um, we got off WordPress and became a cloud-based software shortly thereafter. Um, year after year, we'd hear from our customers and try to improve the software. And, and, and really my, my, my vision for Webinar Ninja was, I want you to be able just to focus on the content of your webinars. As a teacher, I just think that content is king. I want you to focus on the content of the webinars and don't worry about the technology. I want the technology to dissolve the background. Too many people don't do webinars because they think other oh, technology is going to be a headache. I'm going to screw this up, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I want to kind of uh, remove that barrier. Um, and I, I loved webinars because from a teaching point of view, I was like, wow, I can get in front of all these people. I can teach them. I can show them. I can demo my product. I can, you know, earn some trust and rapport with them, which is like table stakes for, for teachers. This is what we're used to. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was just a great medium. Um, and the, the company grew, the, the product has grown, uh, tremendously over the last few years. Our team has grown, uh, in, actually in the last two months, uh, nearly doubled in size just because of the demand webinars having now, especially with people working from home, people are, are realizing that, okay, I don't need to do everything in person. I can, I can teach online. I can, I can provide workshops online. I can sell my products and services online. Um, so that, that's really what Webinar Ninja does. It solves that problem for people where they want an all-in-one solution, where they don't have to hodgepodge a bunch of software. A lot of people come from other platforms realizing, oh, I had to buy a landing page software. I need to buy email marketing software. I need to buy all this other stuff. And we just say, you know what? If you want to run webinars, you can come to us. We'll do everything for you. And everything is kind of simple to do. So that's kind of uh, the genesis of, uh, of Webinar Ninja. And Take us through the steps of building an unstoppable webinar with crazy conversion rates. Because I know that's something that, you know, everybody wants to start something. A lot of our listeners are brand new. You, not only have you built the software, but you've actually like talked to talk with having a crazy awesome webinar platform mm-hmm. itself. Talk, kind of walk us through those steps. The steps of creating a, a webinar that, uh, that, that converts. Some, An unstoppable not, webinar. Unstoppable, bad to the bone, Omar. Something okay. that just absolutely crushes at all times. Um, so we, are, uh, we differ in the marketplace with, with this philosophy. Um, we're very much against the high pressure sales, you know, uh, show them all the stacked value and, you know, tell them all about, you know, it's all sales pitch kind of webinar where it's really, really like, you're, if you don't buy this, you're going to be a loser and look at your life if you don't have this and all that kind of stuff. And um, I, I, I'm not, to each his own, everybody kind of thinks that that works. I believe that that's falling on deaf ears these days. People are sick of being sold eBooks from private jets and things like that. That's not really resonating with anybody anymore. Um, what really resonates is you proving to people that you are of value. That, and I believe teaching is a new selling in today's marketing. 
uh, people want to make the decision. It's a lot more powerful for people to make the decision to say, you are who I want to do business with rather than you to convince them and push them. And then it ends up in a chargeback or a refund. So um, our philosophy is if you want to run any kind of webinar, whatever your goal is, whether you're trying to build your email list, you're trying to make sales, you're trying to nurture your audience, you have to have one singular goal. And that goal is very clear. And I'm going to give you this goal. And the only goal you should have on any webinar is to build trust with your audience. You have to build trust. Okay. That's the whole point of webinars. This is why it works. Cause I can build rapport quickly. It's going back and forth like a conversation like we're having right now. Um, and it, it approximates being in person. So, uh, if you try to do anything else that breaks trust, you're going to miss the point. Okay. So what breaks trust? Like, for example, um, I tell people on the registration page, there's going to be hundred percent teaching amazing workshop learning uh, galore. And then the whole thing is a sales pitch. That's automatically people feel like you hoodwink them. That right. breaks trust. Right? So what does build trust? So what you do is you be refreshingly honest. And people are shocked by this when they use this technique. So at the start of the webinar, hey guys, welcome to the webinar. Thank you so much for joining me today. And then you show a menu. This is what we're going to be covering today. One, two, three, four. And if you want to, I'm going to offer my products and services at this point. Uh, you can make a joke about it. I always make jokes about it. I say, hey, this is not, uh, you know, it's not obligatory. You don't have to buy. You can put your wallet in the freezer if you want to. No problems. <laughs> um, but the problem, the, the thing is, is that like you need to just flat out say, I'm going to sell at some point. Okay. Because people know you're a business person, they know that this is going to happen and they find it refreshingly honest that, wow, this person is actually getting in front of it. Second, the whole purpose of the webinar is an audition. This is an audition for you. If they like what they see, if you give them great value, if they can trust you, if they like you, they think that you have their best interests in mind, it's a chance for them to say, okay, I gave my time, I gave my email address and they delivered there's a good chance if I give my money, they're going to deliver as well. So that's what you're doing here. You're auditioning for their business and you're not trying to uh, close the sale the moment you met, you just met them. And I've seen people on my webinar three, four, five times before they bought. And that's okay because I'm not going anywhere. I, again, long-term vision of the business. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be here week after week. And then when you're ready to buy, I'll be here. And that's the point. Once you build that trust with them, it's not a question if I'm going to buy a webinar software. It's when, right? And it's going to be with you because they're not going to shop around anymore. That's it. Omar's the webinar guy. I'm going to go with Omar. It's just, and it goes with any genre. If you're teaching golf and somebody's trying to perfect their golf swing so they can press their boss, you know, it's tedious to go shopping around and go search on Google and find reviews. Once they've built that rapport with you, okay, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to do that course. Not now. I'm busy right now, but whatever. But when the time comes, they're not going to go shopping around. You're in their inbox. They see you, you're front, front and center. So building trust is the way to do it. And, it. and that's really a mindset. If you change your mindset, everything will fall into place. Your slides will change. The way you talk on the webinar changes. The pressure of I need to close every single sale kind of goes down and realize that I will get sales. But it's over a course of time. And it's, it's going to be sales that stick. It's going to be sales that people are going to be lifetime uh, uh, customers, people that will buy from me again and again and again because they saw that I had my, their best interest in mind. Right. And that, this, this resonates a lot with us with, in one of our previous episodes with a guy named Dalton Van Hatcher where he was like, look, at the end of the day, everybody is a person. Like, talk to them like people. And then it, you know, the, what you just said resonated a ton. And it's like, when you, when you see a girl, like you're interested you just, you don't just walk up and be like, Hey, would you want to date me? No, like 
you have to get to know them, right? And it's like this whole process of like warming them up, building trust. I think, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to see two completely separate people, opposite sides of the country, or opposite sides of the world, really, saying the exact same thing, right? Yeah, it totally. all comes down to trust, and they have to trust you first. Yeah, so that's so important. I think over the years of business, I've always came come back to it. It's like, do I have enough trust in my customers that there is a high percentage that I can pick up the phone and call them? And when I'm on that phone and I'm on that call, something can happen. If I need to ask for a favor, if I need a quick text that I need something moved from one area to the next, did I do a good enough job of nurturing that relationship so that they know, like, and trust me so that I could, you know, maybe ask for a favor from them or, or something like that. I think, uh, Omar, you're, you're so right with the, the stacks, right? You get this, that, the next thing, you get these 15 items and they're all priced super high. That, that does start to rub people the wrong way that are, are seeing so many ads thrown at them on, on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube from all different angles. I think you're right with that webinar and the way that you do it is just building that trust and trying to teach them and have them view you as somebody who is an expert in your field. Uh, talk about a little bit as your companies have grown and flourished, what are some common mistakes uh, that you made or what are some common mistakes that you see other entrepreneurs make? Maybe they've, um, they're just a startup or they're just, you continue to see them making the same mistakes. Uh, that's one thing when we were uh, communicating before you wanted to talk to that. So again, what are the common mistakes you're seeing entrepreneurs make right now? One of the most common ones is not investing in great talent. I think a lot of people try to find a diamond or rough. They try to find like, you know, this person that's part-time, but really does the time of full-time and they're expert and they're hungry and all that stuff. And there, those people are already snatched up. Like you, talent is so important. You know, um, even if you're just getting started, I, I was a solopreneur for a very long time. Uh, I didn't make my first hire for a very long time. The point is, is that if you're going to start hiring people, start, and, and I encourage you to start hiring people because you can't build a great business alone. Uh, you just don't have the time. You need the leverage. You need to delegate. You need to be able to do that. Um, but try to find A players. A lot of people try to find B and C players that have potential. They train them, they help them. That's not how you get successful. The way you get success is you, you find successful people. You find people that already have did there, done that, and you get what you pay for. It's going to be more expensive than you want to spend. Um, some people don't even, can't even fathom how, why would somebody spend, you know, $25,000 a month on this person to come in and work for them? Like, because they can, give you tenfold. They can give you tenfold and change your business in that way. That's why they're that expensive. Um, and, and that's really what I want to say. That's an extreme example. But when it comes to finding great talent, you want to find somebody who has already done this. You don't want to find, I never hire on potential because uh, that's not a promise that they can do it. I want somebody that has already done it. Uh, they know, and I can challenge them in different ways and, 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 and give them uh, bigger projects to work on. But the point here is, is that uh, don't go cheap there. Don't go cheap there. You can cut corners other other places, but uh, when it comes to the people on your team that are going to be taking care of your baby, uh, you know you get what you pay for. Get, go go for someone that is is worth their weight. Yeah, it's just like don't uh, don't hire the cheapest babysitter, right? <laughs> that's, 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 a, that's always that's always a line that's always in my head when uh, when i think about hiring and paying different people as i go. It's just like oh, would i uh, would i really just 
stretch my wallet to pay the cheapest babysitter? Would I, would I hire them for more hours because they were cheap? It's like, nah, that's uh, that's probably not a good idea. And in a lot of, in a lot of positions I found in my experience, the more expensive per hour hire is actually cheaper in the long run because they, they are able to pull off and do the tasks faster, more efficiently with less problems in the future, whether that's an engineer or a developer or a marketer or whatever it is, uh, they actually end up being more cost effective. Um, and I know that sounds strange, a little bit like, you know, uh, backwards, but that's, that's really what I found is that you end up wasting a lot of money trying to find that diamond in the rough. Right. Yeah, and so true. Go, going off that, you know, I read somewhere, I don't remember where, you got a couple dozen employees. I think that that sounds right to me. Work on a couple different continents. How do you kind of keep them all together moving forward? And I guess taking that a step further, how do you scout talent if you can't meet them and they're in a different continent? That's a good question. Um, so we're we, we're about we're thirty now, thirty employees, uh, our teammates here at Webinar Ninja and, and the Hunter MBA. Uh, so we were a remote team from day one. So we started. Uh, with that intention of uh, being a remote team, not to save money, not to uh, be trendy, uh, because we wanted a global team. Um, I wanted to be able to in influence the world. I want to impact the world with my products and services. Uh, and I can't do that if I don't have uh, a sample of the world in my team, if I don't have those different perspectives, if I don't have people that say, you know what? you know, in that UI, the language that doesn't resonate with me because I'm not a native English speaker. That doesn't make any sense to me. Can, I think it would make more sense like that. Or, you know, here in Belarus, everybody uses Android. They don't use iOS. Like, so make sure it looks good on Android, whatever the case may be. But the point is, is that, you know, if you want to make an impact on the world and that's what I wanted to do, you know, you have to have a global team. If you look at your team and everybody looks like they could be related to you, there's a problem. (laughs) And it's not about just being diverse. It's about, you need you need to be, uh, you need a representative from the world so you can be able to say, hey, you know what? Um, this actually makes sense for everybody I'm trying to cater to. Um, so that's kind of where we started with our remote team, that kind of intention. Um, it does take longer to hire. So we, we definitely uh, have our places that we post your jobs, you post your job on our site. Um, one of the things that really has helped us as your team grows is referrals um and they come from within your team people that know people their own network they post it on facebook or linkedin hey you know my company's hiring this position um we actually have a referral bonus for people that do refer people um which is great uh if, if they uh, they stick around for more than three months and they pass kind of their first round of probation um so it kind of incentivizes people and we prefer this type of hire because they're coming pre-vetted and they're coming with expectations. So our, our team member will tell the potential hire, hey, this is what it's like to work at Webinar Ninja. This is the environment. These are the expectations. This is, what, this is how you win here. So they're already coming in knowing what it takes to be successful. So that, that's a really good way. But obviously, that's not always sure fire. So what we like to do is we, we like to take our time with hiring. You know, we just made a, a bunch of hires recently. Um, and like our last hire was, a, was an engineer and it, and it took two months to find somebody, uh, from, from putting the job posts out to vetting the CVs from doing, uh, interviews, you know, virtually on, 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 a call like this, uh, all that kind of stuff. And, um, and, and it takes a few rounds, cultural fit. Um, and then what we like to do is we like to say the first three months working with us is a chance for you to feel us out and we feel you out and see if we're a good fit. 
Um, the way our contracts work is that we say in those three months, both of us can say thanks, but no thanks. So you can right. walk away and say, this is not a good fit for me. I could do the same thing with you because you really don't know how somebody's going to fit with your team and how well they're going to do that specific job until they actually do it. Um, and, and we make that very clear with them. And that will mean that sometimes we'll overhire knowing that sometimes it won't work out, especially in a department that, you know, maybe you need a lot of staff like support. Um, and that's okay because uh, we know the law of averages. We know it's going to happen and, and it's all right. If you're not a fit for everybody, it's fine. Um, but that's kind of our process. We also like to try to get as people involved as much as possible in our team, whether it's other managers doing the interviewing, uh, getting another team member to come and, and, and vet them. Uh, we often share the CVs and the LinkedIn's of somebody who's uh, potentially going to be hired. They're on their last round. We say, Hey guys in the department, say for example, we're hiring a new uh, developer and we say, Hey, uh, engineering team, this is somebody we're considering. What do you guys think? Uh, do you think we can use your talents and get some feedback? And they, they might say, well, can you ask them this question, ask them this question, and that helps kind of uh, vet them and, and get make a great hire. That's, uh, that's great because I, I think so much now companies are, are looking at a model where they are doing more interviews online and they're trying to figure out how, does, how do I take my traditional processes and move them online? And I think more so than ever, we want to have a diverse workforce, not just because you have a voice in, in a certain country, but just the ability to have so many different ideas and so many different backgrounds and how everybody grew up. Um, as we're closing this podcast out, Omar, it's been unbelievable so far. Again, thank you for coming on. Um, you talked a little bit about your wife, Nicole. What are you good at? What is she good at? And how do you guys work together to create this this little mini beast known as the, the $100 MBA and um, webinar ninja and, and all your different side projects? Uh, that's a great question. Nicole is definitely indispensable on the team. Uh, so Nicole's a COO, she's a chief operating officer and uh, she's the one uh, that is very in touch with um, making sure we have a well-oiled machine. Um, she is the EQ part of the equation. Um, I'm the kind of like, let's get it done. You know, what are the tasks? What are the goals? Uh, she knows how to massage them and make sure that, uh, they, they make sense for, for actual human beings, um, which is great. Uh, I'm not a robot or anything, but she's much better at that. <laughs> um, but, um, she's, uh, she's, she's very good at, uh, at making sure that our company actually works well and we actually get the things done that we need to get done to question, if the procedures we're doing are correct or they need a refinement, documenting all our procedures so that no matter what happens, somebody leaves, somebody's on maternity leave, somebody has to call in sick, uh, somebody can just pick up a document, a, a standard operating procedure and say, okay, I know exactly what to do. Uh, onboarding new staff members, uh, all that stuff that requ is required to have a great company that no one wants to do. She gets a high off making sure everything is well-oiled and, and just going uh, seamlessly. Uh, just as an example, um, you know, we refined our new, our onboarding the first week for a new hire, the onboarding process and the, and the, basically the program for their first week. And as soon as they go through that first week, we get feedback from the new hire. Hey, how did that first week go? Is there something we can improve? What, what are some things that were your first impressions? What'd you think of that video we sent you? Uh, and they give feedback and we quickly make corrections and change things around. And, and she's very good at that. Um, she's also, uh, in charge of making sure, 
uh, customer support is run uh, uh, at a high level. Um, we take customer support very, very seriously. We believe that uh, just like um, you know, it's important to build a relationship before the sale, after the sale is even more important. You want to keep them. Um, so we have a great a customer service manager, CJ, uh, and she works with CJ to make sure that we have the right resources and that our customers are being taken care of uh, and our, our customer service satisfaction score, our CSAT score is quite high on a consistent basis. Um, so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm more on the product side and on the business side of things and the sales side and she's more on the uh, everything else to make the business run side. So um, she's, she's great, but on a personal level, um, I'm very lucky to have her because she uh, reminds me to have balance in my life. Um, if you leave me to it, I can work all day long and be stuck on my computer. But she organizes things on our calendar to do, like see people and go and eat somewhere or, you know, have a social life and, and, and things like that. And I'm, I'm encouraged to do that more of that. So she, she definitely is somebody who has that kind of understanding, like, what is this all for? We need to, you know, you know enjoy the fruits of our labor. Yeah, that's so cool. It's a, it's definitely a unique experience. And I, I think it probably poses a ton of success and often some challenges uh, as well. But it is, uh, it's always cool to see a husband and wife team uh, love working together. My wife and I do not work together. And I, I don't know, I don't know if we could, I don't know if it, it would be the, the right fit or not. But uh, that's awesome that you guys do that. Uh, Omar, where can everybody find you on the web? Where do you want to send everybody? Sure. If they want to learn more about running webinars or uh, anything like that, you go to webinarninja.com. Uh, they can also go to webinarninja.com slash course if they want to get a uh, free seven-part video course on how to run their first webinar. Uh, if you're interested in our podcast, The $100 MBA Show, you can just go to 100mba.net slash show uh, and you can subscribe there and uh, we have daily business lessons there uh, for free. So uh, happy, to, happy to be here and it was awesome chatting with you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, Omar. In order to grow the podcast, we need your help. Please subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and tell a friend about every episode you find value in and share the episode on your favorite social media platform. If you like the episode, please rate the episode a five. I think it was a five. I think it was gold, Jake. It must be a five and leave us a review. That's right. Get off the couch. After you listen to it, grab your little computer, type out a nice little review for us, and then you can find us at Against All Average on all of your favorite social media platforms. Another big shout out to Omar Zenhome, the webinar ninja, and this episode's sponsor, Fame Pro Services. And with that, we thank you for listening to episode 18 of the Against All Average podcast. We'll see you later.